don't show up this week. Uh, it's a week from Wednesday the 17th. Also, I wanted to make you aware that uh, we have an author in our midst. Uh, so yeah, Hannah Shoup has uh, written and published a book called The Summoning. And um, we don't very often sell stuff in our foyer. You have to be really special uh, to sell stuff in our foyer. Um, and so that's how special Hannah is to us. Uh, her book is for sale in the foyer. It's only $100. And if you'll... I don't, I don't even know how much it is, Hannah. How much? Huh? It's $10 today for you. $10. Not only that, but the author will sign her book. Uh, she'll be in the back. So buy every single one of these uh, before we leave today. Great. I read it uh, last week. It's a, it's a great uh, read in the line of uh, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, uh, Tolkien. It's that kind of style of book. Uh, middle schoolers, if you know them, they will love this book. So, and you'll like it too. Uh, some of you are at middle school reading level, so it's right, <laughs> right up your alley. So uh, in any case, I know I love this place, right? Uh, the summoning, pick it up, buy several gifts, Christmas. Uh, Hannah's only with us for another couple of weeks before she heads to training uh, for, uh, to be a journeyman. They still call them journeymen? Journeyman for the Southern Baptist Convention. Notice Hannah and I are just talking, filling things in. And then she's gonna be going to Germany for a couple of years, starting in January to teach. So um, please pick this up. All right, children, you are dismissed to go to, uh, not downstairs, across the way to your time of study. While you do, we have uh, a short lead-in video on the Apostles' Creed. thousand years the church has gathered together and spoken those words as a group um, we are looking at what is known as the Apostles Creed uh, the earliest dated writings or affirmation of it is in the late 100s early 200s and ever since then the church has used these words to state what it is we believe 
Uh, it's been put in song, as you sang this morning, a, a form of the Apostles' Creed. And for those of you who've missed the last eight weeks of the Apostles' Creed, I, we're getting to the point I can't review uh, everything that we've, we've spoken of, but we've laid a framework for our study of the Apostles' Creed on this, that the creed does not have authority in and of itself, but it derives the authority that it has based on biblical truth. So we're looking at the statements of the Apostles' Creed, which predates the establishment of the church, so to speak, and instead, how does this affect our faith? And we've tried to lay over that idea, this grid, that it assists us in spiritual formations. Uh, these are some of the essential doctrines of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian. It helps bring balance in our life because with all the different statements of truth that are in the Apostles' Creed, many of us at times will focus on one area to the neglect of another. And so it helps bring balance in our lives. It creates the desire for community. When we say these words together, when we sing these words together, we're joining with the church throughout history for almost 2,000 years and believers all over the world today who are saying these words. It, there's a community aspect in the proclamation of words together, and it helps direct our steps. In other words, it if indeed we believe. And I've tried to, over these weeks, talk about the difference between knowledge, which is intellect, and belief, which is a heart matter. If indeed we believe in our hearts, not just with our heads, but with our hearts, these statements, it will change the course of our life. It will help direct our steps moment by moment. These biblical truths believed deep in our hearts will then come out in the way we live life. We're in the section that focuses on Jesus. It, it begins by stating about God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, and then it starts talking about Jesus. And we've looked at uh, these sections, excuse me, I'm a little quick on the trigger, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, I, I looked at that uh, three weeks ago when I was uh, last here. Then um, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Gabriel did a great job a couple of weeks ago taking us through the, that section. Scott last week talked about how he descended into hell or into darkness. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. Again, those, both those sermons are just excellent. I would encourage you to go get both Gabriel's and Scott's sermons on those, those truths. And these are the truths of the incarnation. The incarnation meaning God, Jesus, fully God, fully man, came into this earth. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, fully God, fully man, lived life, was punished under a historic figure, Pontius Pilate, placed in history, he suffered, he died for our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins. He was buried and dead, but, the, but death could not hold him. He rose again. And as a result, we too have life. This morning, I want to focus on one of the most critical and yet least often 
preached on aspects of the life of Christ, which is this. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The picture that many people have, I think, about Jesus is he was in heaven with God, doing all the God stuff. Then he became a man, lived out life, crucified, died, rose again. Work was done. Time to go home. Hang out. Vacation for a while. Sit on the front porch. Wait until the God the Father again says, hey, let's finish this thing up. Head on down. Get her done. Kind of thing. And let me just say this. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because the ascension matters. It is critical to our belief system. It's not only critical to our belief system. When we finish this morning, what I hope is you'll see it's critical to what God is doing in my life for me, for us, through us, to us. Without the ascension, we don't have any of these benefits. Now, you may say, I think he's overstating his case a little bit. I think I'm not. So hang on, and let's see if by the end you agree with me that um, it's part of the importance of who we are in Christ. Uh, Robert Ramey says this, Easter is incomplete, Pentecost is impeded, and the second coming is impossible without the ascension. Let me say, the ascension is so... You know where you can tell where beliefs matter is where people start to come against them. I mean, when, when people start saying things about certain aspects, that's where you're like, hey, maybe this is a big deal. They don't usually, you know, badmouth the minor points. What they really come after are the critical aspects. One of the most critical aspects that throughout church history has been affronted, so to speak, is the ascension of Christ. What happened? Where, where did Jesus go? What's he doing? What does he look like wherever he is doing it? And those aspects matter. And the New Testament, I can't even begin. I'm going to try. You're going to have to hang on because we're going to look at a lot of Scripture this morning because there are a lot of Scripture passages in the New Testament that hinge and speak of the ascension of Jesus Christ. All right, just to review the history. Jesus rises from the dead, and Scott preached out of 1 Corinthians 15 last week, and this is uh, Paul uh, recounting the resurrection of Christ. And he says that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Let me just back up just a second and say Paul is making clear to the church in Corinth, look, this resurrection thing is not a myth. As a matter of fact, he appeared to over 500 people, some who are now dead, but there are still people living. If you want to go talk to him, you can go talk to him and see if they didn't see Jesus raised from the dead. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So Jesus is raised from the dead. 
he spends 40 days ministering, speaking, eating with, talking to his followers and a pretty large gathering, at least 500 according to Paul. Then after 40 days, it says in Luke, he gets his followers together. He leads them out to the vicinity of Bethany. He lifts up his hands. He blesses them. Kind of a priestly kind of look. He blessing his followers. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Luke gives us this account, this picture of Jesus blessing his followers. And as he's blessing them, he's taken up into heaven. Luke goes on in his companion piece, the book of Acts. Luke and Acts, you know, they go together. They're written to Theophilus. They, they, they back up the, the life of Jesus, the history of the early church. And in Acts 1, he says this. He said, after Jesus gave him the parting words, he says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So, Jesus teaches for 40 days. His, witness, his resurrection is witnessed to by many, 500 or more. After 40 days, he gathers his followers together and he says to them, hey, go to Jerusalem, pray, wait. The power of God is going to come upon you. He blesses them and then he leaves. He ascends in a cloud. You know, we think, well, this cloud just happened to pass by and Jesus grabbed hold and boom. There's so much more significantly to this. The cloud, if you remember, is a picture and symbol of the presence of God in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory, so to speak. The cloud went before the Israelites during the day. Elijah, Elijah, you, you see this cloud picture, not just picture, but this cloud realism of the presence and power of God. Jesus ascends basically physically into heaven in the glory of God. I don't know what you think happened to Jesus when he ascended. In other words, I think for many people that think, you know, Jesus, you know, he was raised from the dead, and I, I don't know what that was. What it, we believe Jesus was raised from the dead physically. Now, his resurrection body has some different dynamics than his body pre-resurrection. We don't understand it all. It's a first fruit. It's a, it's, it looks like whatever our resurrection, but there are some things about it that are very real. The scars were still real. Uh, he still ate with his followers. He cooked meals. He was, there's a corpus, a physical body, a presence. And Jesus ascended into heaven in that physical form. And it wasn't like after he got, as he went up there, he was transformed into some spiritual being. The Bible makes it clear that this same Jesus, physical Jesus, is in heaven now and will return in the same way that he's, he's gone. 
This physicality of Jesus is really, really, really important. That he is not merely some spiritual being. And, and the reason, one of the reasons it's important is because of the, the things that it fought against in the olden times of, uh, and we fight against it, spirit was good and physicality bad. God has redeemed it all. And Jesus, wherever this third heaven is, wherever heaven, the presence of God is, the throne room of heaven, Jesus is there physically seated at the right hand of God the Father. Now, I know, if you're like me, this takes a real level of faith to step into this truth. But what I want to share with you this morning is why this really matters. Not just kind of like, what's Jesus doing? Where's he hanging out? But why? In Mark 16, 9, it says, After the Lord had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven. This speaks again of the ascension. And he sat at the right hand of God. Peter speaks of it and says, Who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Jesus is at the right hand or the, 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 the power position in heaven, and he has authority to do things. I want to show you an image. You know, I looked at a lot of different images of the Ascension paintings. Artists have been um, enamored with the Ascension forever. And usually, I, I don't like the pictures very much. You know, there's the whole Jesus in a choir robe with a halo on a cloud, kind of everybody's looking at it. There's a mythology to it that I don't appreciate. This is by an Aboriginal artist, an Australian Aboriginal artist, Shirley uh, Purdy, P-U-R-D-I-E. And in her photo, there's a, Jesus is in that position of ascension, but he's, he's surrounded, it's almost like he's descending rather than ascending. And I don't mean descending like, it, there's an earthiness to it. There's a reality to it that she wanted to, to, to symbolize, really, the psalm I read to you early, where can I go from your presence? That the God's presence, Jesus, though he's at the right hand of God the Father, there's a presence of him with us, even now. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at these truths about what it is we receive because Jesus ascended. In other words, if Jesus is at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, what, is it, what does it matter to us? And not that we're the center of things, but let's say this truth is true, then what are the ramifications for us as believers? You with me? All right, so here's what we receive. First of all, we receive a person. We receive a person. In John 16, Jesus says, but I tell you the truth, it's good for you. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
Who's he talking about here? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. You know, most of us would say, you know, it, it really would have been better if Jesus would have just hung here with us. I mean, I mean, think about the benefit of having Jesus here rather than going to heaven. But Jesus, Jesus is still in a physical body, right? So that limits Jesus. But because he left, he could send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is distributed freely to all who follow Jesus Christ. His presence, it is in this age, it is through the person of the Holy Spirit that the, the presence of God is realized. Now, I don't want to get ahead too far, and I'm not going to stay on this point long because I'm preaching on I believe in the Holy Spirit in two weeks. And so I don't want to give away all the things I want to say about the Holy Spirit. But because of the ascension, without the ascension, we would not have the widely distributed presence and power of the Holy Spirit here among us. It's why Jesus says in John 14, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because, why? I'm going to my Father. What does he mean by that? He said, I'm going to my Father, and when I go to my Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And as a result, now everyone has the capacity to do what I've been doing. Let me tell you, has faith not just kind of... I mean, if you don't have faith through this, you'll just dismiss it. You'll just, eh, that's Jesus. He's over-speaking. I don't think he's over-speaking. I think we have the capacity to do greater things because where Jesus was limited in time and space in a physical body, we as the body of Christ, we're everywhere. And the Holy Spirit is in us, working in us. And this is really, really, really good news. I mean, I could stop at this point here, point one, and we should all say thank the Lord for the ascension of Jesus. Thank him for his ascension. Because, as a result, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. But it goes beyond that. We receive presence. Who doesn't like presence? Right? Who doesn't like to receive gifts? Look at this longer passage in Ephesians. I know you know it. I'm just summarizing it a little bit. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? By the way, this is where part of that passage Scott was trying to talk about last week, about he descended into hell, he descended into darkness, come from. But here's the truth. He who descended, and really, if you want to take it at just one level, he descended by leaving heaven and coming to earth. And we are the captives that he's led free in his train. The captives descend. At no other level... If it doesn't go any further than this, and we don't understand the whole harrowing of hell or the descent into darkness, but we do understand this, that God, Jesus, came to earth, he descended, he gave up his God privileges as, a, as, a, as God in the sense of the privileges that come with it. He descended, he set us free, he leads us, the captives free. He fills the whole universe. Then it goes on and says, It was he 
who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. So Jesus ascends, and from his position of authority, he distributes gifts. The gifts listed in this passage are the gifts of men and women. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Yes, I said women. Men and women, I believe, that he gives these gifts to the church in order that the body of Christ may be built up. Until what time? We all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. All right, so here's the question. Is there total unity in the church? Are we mature? Have we obtained the fullness of Christ? I would say no to all of those. Therefore, Jesus, from his ascension position, is still distributing, I'm going to say it, all of these gifts. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. We need, all, until we're all mature, until we all reach unity of the faith. Now, some of you are like saying, I don't know why he's making a big deal out of it. Well, I, I'm making a big deal out of it for a number of reasons. One, we still need these gifts, and we need to embrace these gifts. And there are people who will say some of these gifts that I just told you about don't exist anymore. And I would say we, need, we still need all these gifts. Now, apostle may look different now than it did when we talk about the apostle Peter. As a matter of fact, it'll look different. I think. But at the same time, there's an aspect to it that is necessary. The apostolic ministry, the, we'll talk about that in the spring if you'd like to come back when we talk about practicing his presence. My point is this. We receive these presents, these spiritual gifts, as a result of Jesus' ascension. He's there distributing them to the body of Christ with the specific purpose of us becoming mature and being unified. <clears throat> let, me, let me just go off pages for one second. When I say, have we, have we reached this? Or I, I'm not, I, I don't want you to hear. Some of you will hear, oh, we don't have any hope of reaching this. You know, I'm just so bad, and Jesus is so good. And we're just so worthless that we'll never reach us. That is not Paul's point at all. Paul's point is this. God is giving you things to head in this direction. Jesus, in his position at the right hand of God the Father, is empowering us. So that I believe, and, and I'm not an over-victorious kind of person, but listen, people, to sit back and say, I can't do anything because I'm so bad, is not what we're about. Instead, we're about, I may never get there, but I am headed there. And I'm headed there not because I'm headed there, but because God empowers me. Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, distributing gifts. He's given me the person of the Holy Spirit. He's given the church gifts for our maturity. And we get this... To keep us moving in this direction, we receive power. We receive power. And 
a passage I preached on many, 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 many times for those who have been a part of fullness. And one of the ones that's foundational for us is Ephesians 1. Paul prays that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we can know the, and he prays for three things, the hope to which we've been called, the riches of our glorious inheritance in the saints. We've got hope, we've got inheritance, and in, he says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. We have hope, we have an inheritance in the saints, and we have power. Paul prays the eyes of our heart would be open that we would know these things. Why is Paul praying that the eyes of our heart would be open to know these things? Because for many of us, we are spiritually blind to know who we are in him. And what we need is a spiritual reckoning to say, if you're blind spiritually, what you say about yourself is I'm worthless. I have no hope. I'm lucky to make it through. I have no power. You know, the blindness of blindness is the mirror of you looking at your circumstances and situation. It's when you look in the mirror and you say, I'm not much to look at. And then you look around at your circumstance and you say, ah, oh, my circumstances stink. The people around me, my family, my job, my stuff. When you get locked into that horizontal look, you become spiritually blind. And Paul is praying, I'm praying that your eyes get open, not to see your circumstances, but to see your hope, to see your inheritance, to see the power that you have. Well, what kind of power? There's where he goes on. He goes, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he did what? When he raised him from the dead and when he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. When we talk about power, many times we talk about the resurrection power of Jesus. I'm all for it. But Paul says, look, it is the resurrection and ascension power. That demonstration of power, of the resurrection and the ascension, is the greatest demonstration of the power of God that has ever happened. I don't know about you, but I, I, I could back up and say, I think that some other Bible stories are pretty good. Pretty good power demonstrations of God. But the incomparably great power, nothing else to compare to the power of Jesus being raised and seated on high. And it's a dominion power. He goes on, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fits everything in every way. People, I, I please do not underestimate the power of these verses for the church. To say, God has placed the church in a position of authority. Now, please, again, don't take this down the rails that the church has too often taken it down. I believe what he's saying is there is spiritual authority to break sin and darkness, to be light in the world, not to get you a Cadillac, not that kind of darkness. 
you know, the darkness that prevents me from getting to Mercedes. I rebuke that darkness because i am got resurrection, ascension power at work in my life. No, you got greed at work in your life, and you need that broken in your life. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the dom- dominion mandate to, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world around us. I believe when the church understands its authority, empowered by the Spirit, walking in the gifts of the Spirit, walking in the power of God, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We, we've received power. We've received power. And it's, it really is based on the ascension of Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the ascension. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us where? Heavenly places. I know you're sitting in these green chairs on this Sunday in October, but you're not. Where you really are is where you ultimately really will be, what lasts for eternity, and that's you are seated with him in heavenly realms. Listen, people, we need faith to believe, faith to receive, faith to walk out the power that is ours in God. And you may be saying, I, you know, I'm too weak. I am too weak. Well, here's even more good news. We receive prayer. Because we're so weak, Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for us now. Not just any kind of Jesus, but according to the author of Hebrews, he says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We, we don't, it's not just some God up there. It is Jesus, fully God, fully man. And what he's gone through allows him at the right hand of God the Father to make intercession for us. So we get to go boldly before the throne of grace and find help in our time of need. A couple other passages that kind of follow along. Romans 8.34 says, Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life. He is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He, Paul is asking a question and then basically saying, Who's, who, who gets condemned? Well, it, not you in Jesus, because he is at the right hand making intercession for us. Hebrews, again, 7.25 says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Again, I, we could be here all day mining the depths of the beauty of these passages because I know there's some of us here today say, you know, God saved me. <clears throat> God saved me. I was a horrible person, and I came to Jesus, and I got baptized, and now I'm just trying to hang on till Jesus comes back or I die. You know, I know I'm just a terrible person. I live a bad life. I, I, I can't really maintain things on my own, so I'm just barely hanging on and hoping I don't screw up too bad before I die or Jesus comes snatching me out of this thing. 
And the truth of the word of God is, says this. Hey, Jesus saved you, and he's able to completely save you. And by the way, it's not about you. It's about the fact that he is interceding for you every moment of every day till that moment you're in his presence. Totally. He's interceding for you. Now, does this mean I have nothing to do with the process? Please, again, don't take this and then run into the, from one ditch and fall on the other side. Yeah, it doesn't matter what I do. Jesus is interceding for you. That's not the point. When you realize Jesus is interceding for you, it should cause worship to break out in your heart. Thank the Lord. Thank him. He's interceding for me. I, I'm being saved completely. I want to live for his glory by the grace he instills in me. I am, um, I don't know about you, but I am sick, sick, sick of passwords. I mean, really, every time I, 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 I go somewhere to a new site, they want a new password. And I don't have that many words in my head to make up a new password. And then I can't remember the password I did. I just did this the other day. Just in random, I, I was actually doing a change of address through the post office on um, a website to, for my dad to, to get his mail so I don't go by and check his mail all the time. So I'll do it online. Like a week later, the post office says, hey, we don't know that you're you really you, so what's your password? Oh, what did the password I do for that? I could never remember it. I mean, really, I couldn't recall it. I couldn't get it back. I had, to go to the, I had to go to the post office. The horror. So, you know what I've done is, I've been, I, maybe like you, I've invested in a password keeper that then takes care of all of my passwords. I need one password to get to my password keeper that then has all my passwords for all my websites, right? One word, that's all. I can, I can still, at my age, hang on to one word. I know it's a silly illustration, but listen, we've got so many different things going on at the same time, thinking, I've got to handle this, I've got to say the right words here, I've got to do this, if I want God to ponder this, I've got to do that, I've got to do this. Listen, I've got to tell you, you just need to remember the name of Jesus. Jesus gives you access to the throne room of grace. He, he allows you, and he is interceding for you. He knows all those things. And as you present it before him, it's not like you have to have the magic words in order to, to get his, you just lean into the name of Jesus. Final point, I'm going to skip this. We receive a promise. We receive a promise. Oh, good. That clock's like five minutes fast. I got like more time than I thought. So here, here's, I was a little, getting a little worried, but I'm like, I can do this. Do you remember when you're reading the Old Testament? And you, I, I remember reading those Bible stories to my kids, the Old Testament stories. Hey, kids, let's talk about Noah. Noah was a man after God's own heart. And Noah, God found favor in the nut side of Noah. So God said to Noah, build a boat 
and get all the animals. And then God said, I'm going to kill everybody else on the earth. Except for Noah and his family. Isn't this a great story, kids? All right. Good night. Sleep well. We'll talk to you. See you in the... I got a bunch of these, if you think about it. Yeah, the nation of Israel, they, they didn't do right. So God sent all these snakes among them. And he just bit them all. He killed thousands of them. It's great. Good night, kids. Have a good night. <laughs> Why do I do that to her? I mean, I know we're, we don't do it like that. Those stories, though, all end with a promise. A promise of God. Hey, lift up this snake in the wilderness. A rainbow. I mean, there are promises of God scattered throughout these tough, tough stories. And it's, it's really more about the whole gospel message. Sin, punishment, rescue, redemption, a promise that is carried out in these passages. And so when Jesus' followers, after the resurrection, they're basically saying to Jesus, hey, is this it? The promise of the restoration of Israel, is that now? And Jesus says to them this, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you, where I am, excuse me, that for you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus makes this promise to his followers, and it has to do really, and if you read John 14 really carefully, and I've, this is the greater things passage, and Jesus is making a promise. Look, I'm going to, there's, that time is coming, but oh, by the way, it's a bigger house than you think it is. It's not just you guys. It's a big, and I'm going to get it ready. It's got many rooms, some of which you don't even, you guys, if I told you, it'd blow your heads kind of thing. I mean, I didn't go down the Gentile route here. But he's basically, he's saying a promise to them, I'm going to get things ready. And when I come again, which I'm coming again, Jesus has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But each of us in our own turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Again, the promise. Scott is going to preach on this in 1st of November sometime. The final statements of the Apostles' Creed. Here's the point. The ascension matters. Does it not? Think about the things you're receiving because Christ ascended on high. You've received the person of the Holy Spirit. We have received spiritual gifts. We have received power. Power, not just resurrection, ascension power is unleashed in our lives because Jesus ascended to God. It's sitting at the right hand of God. We're at the moment receiving intercession, prayer, 
everything that you need, Christ is presenting before the Father, and you can boldly come. And we're receiving a promise that, that this isn't it. This looks like the snake story. I mean, if we look around, it seems like we're being consumed. It looks like the flood. But the promise is this. Christ is with us. We are held safe. We, because he has ascended, we too will ascend. We too will be with him in glory. So what is our response to be? In, in Luke, after they received this, excuse me, in Acts, when they said, why have you been taken to heaven? Come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. They said, they worshiped. Oh, he's gone. Let's go, let's go to worship. Let's worship what God has done. And they stayed continually in the presence of God, praising God. I mean, it's another days before the Holy Spirit's going to come. Pentecost is on its way. But we, our response to the ascension of Christ, in other words, should be worship, thanksgiving, blessing him. When we come to the table of the Lord, there are two aspects that Jesus said. We're to remember his death until he returns. In other words, there is the aspect of what God has done and what God is promising to do that happens when we come to the table of the Lord. And because we're in between the times of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and his return, I believe that the coming together of the body of Christ to celebrate the body of Christ has meaning for us. It has power for us. In between these times, we don't live in a perfect world. I still sin. I still have problems. I still have burdens that need lifting. I still need healing. I still need, but I believe all the answers of what I need are found within the context of what Christ has done for me. And when we come to the table, we come to receive the finished work of Christ on the cross, the power of the resurrection, and the promise of the, that comes from the ascension of his return and presence with him. And so this morning, I just want you to, as our worship team is going to come up as I pray for us, they're going to come and get ready, and then we're going to come together. Everybody's going to come who is a follower of Jesus Christ. We're going to receive the elements from our elders and wives. Then we'll take them back to our place, and we will, we will worship together what Christ has done and what Christ is doing and what Christ will do in each of our lives. Stand up with me. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for the ascension. We thank you that there's so much more that Jesus did in our lives and for us as a result of the gospel that goes beyond his, your Jesus lived life here. 
I thank you, Jesus, that you are right now at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, making intercession for us. We thank you, Jesus, for the promise of your return. We thank you for uh, the person of the Holy Spirit that you've given us and the gifts that you've distributed to us and the, and the power that is available to us who believe. Lord, I pray right now as we come to a time where we remember what you did on the cross until you return. Lord, may we say thank you. May we receive this bread as your broken body that gives us life. May it permeate every part of our being. May we receive this cup, which is the forgiveness of our sins, and walk in life and forgiveness and health and wholeness. Lord, we thank you. We glory in you. In Jesus' name. Come to the table of the Lord. Thank you. 
covenant in the blood of Christ which was shed for the forgiveness of your sins take the final verse of this hymn speaks of the return of Christ stand and sing that final verse and celebrate that between the times Everything is well with our soul because though Christ is ascended, the promises he will return. And Lord, haste the day when my face shall be silent. Amen.